Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is forgetting and remembering. And I don't simply mean uh, the function of human memory, but in a scriptural context, we're specifically talking about whether we remember or forget our faults, our little peccadilloes and things like that, and whether the Lord remembers or forgets them. We read a passage last week that we'll start with tonight about seeing yourself in a mirror and then walking away and immediately forgetting uh, the person that you saw there. And that got me thinking. And I looked at different passages and it was very interesting to look at remembering and forgetting. There are many, many passages. I called it down to 70 and I called it again, got it down to 50 and then I called it again, got it down to 24. And so we'll be looking at those passages tonight and I invite you to join me on that wonderful journey. Let's open with a prayer, shall we friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. Thank you, Lord, for gathering us in your holy name. We're searching through the pages of your word to understand you, to understand ourselves and each other. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Sending love to those of you out there in uh, internet land and getting the audio and on the phone and here in the delightful room. Great pleasure to be with you. Forgetting and remembering. Let's start with a passage in James. So James is pretty close to the book of Revelation in the right-hand side of your Bible. It's right after Hebrews. Hebrews is fairly easy to find there in the epistles. And we'll go to James chapter 1. And uh, let's start at verse 21. We read some other great stuff from this chapter last week, but... Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. It's a pretty clear teaching right there that it is the uh, filthiness and wickedness that stand in the way of us being able to receive the word. Isn't it the way that that's put there? We have to lay apart all those things. And then number two is we'll receive this engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. So until we get that stuff out of the way, we're not getting the, the benefit of what's there in the word to help us. And then it gives us this other great advice here. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Mm. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Yes, interesting. So this is, what is this an analogy to? It's someone who hears the word and doesn't do it. Hear of the word and not a doer, he's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and then what happens? For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. That is the passage that I was thinking about, <coughs> that you, you look in the mirror. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Have you ever had the experience that, uh, you know, I, I imagine you do the same thing I do. You look in the mirror every morning. Uh, then when you travel, if you're in a hotel or something, you look in the mirror and you, and you look different. You can sometimes be shocked because you get so used to seeing yourself in that same context, like you're hardly seeing what you're seeing anymore. 
and then you see a mirror, you go, oh, that's horrifying, you know. Uh, <laughs> so th th this poor person, a, a hearer of the word, but not a doer. It's so interesting. So what is the mirror then? It's, it's the word, isn't it? Like if you're a hearer of the word, but you don't do it, you're like someone who looks in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what you just saw. Isn't that what it's kind of like that the word would be a mirror for you and you would see something, but if you don't practice it, you just walk away and, and forget. It's an interesting analogy, I think. It's, it's very rich. You go away and you, you straight away forget what kind of person you are. If you turn to the left here into Hebrews and go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, I want to read for the 50,000th time a passage I love very much, 4, verse 12, about the Word of God. I just it, it, it comes to mind in relation to that passage on the Word. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Mm, I just love that passage. Such a great definition of the word and what it is. And so when we look in the word, we're looking in something that's able to discern the thoughts and intents of our heart that can tell you this is the spirit in you, this is the flesh, this is this part, this is that part. Uh, and... But if you walk away and you don't practice it, you immediately forget all those things. So that, that got me interested that, that there's, so there's, there's passages about us forgetting what type of person we are, and it seems that that is a negative thing. Now I want to swing all the way to the left in Genesis and go to Genesis chapter 41, very beginning of the Bible there. <clears throat> And we'll just swing through looking at these selected passages about remembering and forgetting, about us forgetting, us remembering, about the Lord forgetting, about the Lord remembering. Uh, let's have a look at those. So in 41 verse 9, one of the 12, oh, actually one of the uh, sons, well, this is, this is the first one. I'm sorry. There are two things in the same chapter. Um, you may remember the story that Joseph is in prison. And he tells people their dreams. He tells them how their life was going to turn out. And then the person who was going to be saved and continue to live, he says, remember me. And then the guy doesn't. He doesn't remember. And years go by. And then look at 41 verse 9. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. That's all I wanted to read. Of that. I remember my faults this yeah, day. That okay. was it. So it's just... Like we can go along. So there's forgetting. There's looking in the mirror, walking away, forgetting. This passage is about where you made a promise to somebody you for, and then and all of a sudden, look, oh, I remember my fault. Is that what it says? My faults? Mm -hmm. I remember my faults this day. It's just an interesting phrase, isn't it? And that seems like it's a positive thing that you should remember your fault. I mean, it's uncomfortable to remember that. And yet these two passages set side by side, one's talking about you look in the mirror, you walk away and you forget what sort of person you are. 
And here, this is someone who remembers his faults, and that's good because now he's going to do something good for Joseph. Joseph will get out of prison. The whole story changes when this guy remembers his faults. You know, it's a very good moment in the Old Testament when he remembers that fault. Isn't it interesting then that Joseph has two children? Uh, let's read verses 50 and 51 in the same chapter there. And 52, we might as well read all three of those there. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. His firstborn, Joseph's Manasseh. Joseph's firstborn is named Manasseh. What does Manasseh mean? Drum roll, please. For God has made me forget all my toil, and all my father's house. Ah, now we've got God in the picture. So there's us looking in the mirror and walking away and forgetting. That's not good. Or there's, I remember my faults. That's, that's good. Here, Joseph is saying, God has made me forget all my toil. So the Lord has taken away that thought. And Joseph, if you're familiar with the story, he been through a lot you know his brothers wanted to kill him and so what they did instead was just throw him in a pit he got carried away by other people he got thrown in prison and falsely accused by uh, Potiphar's wife and all that and um, so God has made me forget all my toil that, that's that's a beautiful thing and what's the name of his other son in the name of the second he called Ephraim for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Isn't that nice? So they make a nice twosome, don't they? Forget all your toil. And then being be fruitful, fruitful in the land of your affliction, the place where all the bad stuff happened. Right there in the bad stuff, the Lord has you forget all that toil and has you fruitful in the land of your affliction. Turn to the right and go through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. I want to get to Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is a passage probably very familiar to you from the Ten Commandments. And it doesn't specifically speak of remembering, uh, but this came to mind in connection with, so when is it that the Lord remembers and when does he forget? And when do we remember and when do we forget? You know, what, what's going on here with these passages? So Deuteronomy 5 verses 9 and 10 there. This is about other gods, the graven images and all that. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So that seems like the Lord remembers that iniquity. <laughs> so when people hate the Lord, then the iniquity gets remembered and gets carried on from generation to generation. If you're familiar with Swedenborg's idea, the uh, whole idea of correspondences is that those are not literally children. We'll read another passage where your, your kids don't suffer for what you do. Mm -hmm. But that idea uh, that the Lord remembers the iniquity of those who hate me, but... But showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Yeah. So hate the Lord, he remembers, right? But if you love the Lord and do his commandments, then he shows mercy. It's, you'll see that that fits well with the theme of the evening as we unfold this here. Let's go to the middle of the Bible, to the Psalms, 
I want to go to Psalm 25, verses 6 and 7. And it's interesting, I only picked out a few of these passages in the interest of time, but it's interesting how many passages, there's some where you got five, six, seven verses in a row that keep using the word remember and remembrance and, and in different ways and call to mind and so on. Uh, it, it's, it's quite a theme in Scripture. There are hundreds of passages. Hmm. 25, verses 6 and 7. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, <laughs> nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Okay, so three mentions in two verses. And what were they again? They say, so we're asking the Lord to remember his, his tender mercies and his loving kindness. Yeah, to, to, to keep that in mind, please. You know, rem <laughs> remember how merciful you are, right? You've always been that way, right? So, so be, be nice, be, be kind. And then uh, do not remember the sins of my youth. So there we're asking the Lord not... We want him to remember his kindness, but not our sins. Hmm, it's interesting. So it said the person looks in a mirror and turns away and doesn't remember. That's bad. But we don't want the Lord to remember. We want the Lord to forget the bad thing that we did. So don't remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. What, what is the Lord supposed to, how is the Lord supposed to remember us? According to his mercy, remember me for your good, for his goodness sake. Yes, yeah, that's right. Okay. For the Lord. That's right. Right. So, just, so, so, you know, think mercifully, you know, just put me in a good light. <laughs> just mm -hmm. <laughs> see me in a good light. Um, and and remember, for your goodness sake, you know, maybe I don't have goodness. Maybe I committed sins and so on. But don't remember those. Just according to your mercy, remember me for your goodness' sake. Okay. Uh, let's turn to Isaiah. There are so many more juicy ones in here, but we'll skip to the right to Isaiah, which is a major book coming up. Chapter 43. Chapter 43. Now, this is an interesting one. Uh, let's read verses 24 and 25. You this is have, God speaking to the people, I believe. You have bought me no sweet cane with money nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. Mm. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Oh, so the Lord was looking for good things that we would do, these sacrifices, uh, but we didn't do those. And instead we burdened the Lord with our sins and, and wore him out with our iniquities. And then what does he say in verse 25 there? I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Yeah, okay, so you see how that fits in this evening, that the Lord's, I'm the one who blots out your transgressions, 
and I won't remember your sins. And again, it's for the Lord's sake. It's interesting to keep saying it. for the Lord's sake. I, I, won't re- I won't remember your sins. And then what does it say in verse 26? I don't know how it's worded in your translation, dear reader. Put me in remembrance. Yes. <laughs> Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Mm. Your first father sinned and your mediators have transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. I will give Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. Hmm. So isn't that interesting? Again, right after you have a thing about remembering, then it says, put me in remembrance. Like, be thinking about me, you know, remember me. And uh, the thing I was most interested in this passage was that the Lord says he is the one who blots out our transgressions and will not remember our sins. And it's a very nice idea that so how does this fit with the us it seems like we're supposed to remember our sins but the lord is supposed to forget them but does it work the other way around if we forget them does that mean the lord remembers them is that is that how this thing works let's see what happens here turn to the right and go to jeremiah we'll go to chapter 14 Always when I'm doing Bible study, there's a little interesting feeling I have where I wonder whether the verse is going to say what I think it says. You know, there's always just a little panic about, okay, here we go, everyone. You know, just go confidently, lead with your best foot. You know. uh, but it usually works out. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah 14, verse 10. Thus says the Lord to this people, thus they have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. Okay, now let's hit pause there. Wandering is bad in Scripture. Not not a good thing to wander. And so the Lord is saying that the people have loved to wander. They have not refrained their feet. The the feet are an interesting image of your outer self. So this is someone who has not restrained their outward, the lusts of the flesh or the outward behaviors. You know, they haven't refrained their feet. They love to wander. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. And then what does it say? He will remember their iniquity now and punish their sins. Oh. So wait. Like he remembers the iniquity when they do something bad. Right? And it seems like he gives them, I don't know what the grace period is or something, but if you keep doing it, then the Lord says, I will, you know, you're already doing this. I will now remember your iniquity and, and uh, punish your sins. Um, so there's the Lord remembering iniquity and the circumstance of his remembering our iniquity is that we are doing it, Right? We, we've forgotten what sort of person we are. We were looking in the mirror, we turned away, forgot what manner of person we are, and we went out and did bad things. And now, because we did them a whole lot, now he needs to remember our iniquity and punish those sins and so on. Okay, look at Jeremiah 31. Just a favorite passage of mine. I know I say that about every passage. Yeah. The Pretty word is much. just so lovable. <laughs> Jeremiah 31 Verse 31 to 34, this is about the new covenant. Very beautiful passage in its own right. And at the very end, you get something about remembering. So let's look at this. 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Mm. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Mm. So there's this idea that there's going to be a new covenant and it's not the same as the old covenant. And this has caused a lot of discussion in Christianity about, well, what is that new covenant? Does that mean the Ten Commandments are done away with and so on? Let's listen. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds oh. and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So it doesn't say I will create a whole new law or a whole new set of laws or, you know, we're tearing the old thing down. We're doing something completely different. The only difference I can see between the old covenant and this covenant was that in verse we're in 32, the problem with the old covenant was just that the other party broke it, mm -hmm. right? That was the problem that it had. And so the covenant after this will be that the Lord will put his law inside us, like it'll be even deeper. It's the same covenant, but deeper. You know, it's more of a covenant. It's a deeper covenant than it was. And so, and he'll, he'll be our God and we'll be his people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, mm. for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. Mm. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay, so there won't be any need for teaching. We can probably bring Bible study to an end at that point and <laughs> we'll all be doing our own internal Bible study or something because everybody will know the Lord from the least. And it's interesting, the least come first. You'd think it would be the greatest down to the least, but the least seem to know him first. And then the greatest, from the least to the greatest. They all know. Nobody needs teaching. And why are they possessed of all that great knowledge? It seems to be because, isn't it? For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. So when we adopt the Lord's commandments, when we're doing what he teaches and in really incorporating that into our hearts and into our lives, not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of it, and really taking that in, then the Lord no longer remembers, then the Lord forgives our iniquity and doesn't remember our sin. That's, that's a beautiful idea, and it fits with these other passages we've been reading. Okay, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 44. There is no plot so thick in scripture that it can't be thickened by another passage. But um, uh, this is just an interesting question here. I kind of like this question, but then I'm a perverse human being. Jeremiah 44, verse 9. Oh, there's so many good words in verse 1. Okay. Have you forgotten the wickedness mm. of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of their wives, mm. your own wickedness, and the wickedness of your wives which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? Yes. 
See, there's a lot of wickedness that you should be remembering. <laughs> Have you forgotten all that? Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the kings of Judah, their wives? Yeah, right. And <laughs> your wickedness and the wickedness of your wives all the bad stuff that people have done. And look at verse 10, because it explains a little bit about what it means by that wickedness. They have not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or in my statutes mm. that I set before you and your fathers. Yes. So there it is that, that wickedness is equated with not following the Lord's law. So have you forgotten all those delicious categories <laughs> of wickedness. Okay, because the implication being the same as that James passage, we're supposed to remember. When you look in the mirror, you're supposed to... So it's this weird thing that it seems like it is teaching that if we remember our iniquity, the Lord will forget it. But if we forget it, the Lord has to remember it because somebody's got to be on top of the situation, right? Uh, let's turn to the right to Ezekiel, go through Lamentations and get to Ezekiel. I want to go to chapter 18. Oh, such a wonderful, wonderful passage. Okay, hold on. Okay. This passage initially sets out here in the interest of time. We won't read the whole thing, although I'd love to, and we have done that before in Bible study. But it's just the whole chapter is so wonderful and it really contradicts that Deuteronomy passage that said that I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation. Here it makes it very clear that if the parent is evil, that's their evil. If their kid is good, that kid is good and gets judged for their goodness. And if that kid's kid is evil, they're judged for that evil, not the previous generation's uh, goodness or evil. You know, it doesn't carry over from generation to generation. Everybody's free to make their own decisions. And then he talks about situations of, well, what if you start out evil and you get good? Or what if you start out good and you get evil? What if it's not just a cut and dried thing? And it answers those questions as well. And uh, let's just read from verse 20 there because it kind of explains what we were just talking about. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteous of the righteous, sorry, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And then this wonderful but. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Okay, so if you turn from your sins and you keep the Lord's statutes and do that which is lawful, you're not just a hearer of the word, you're a doer of it now, then you shall surely live. You shall not die. Even though you started out wicked, that's enough to turn it around. You know, going from, from wicked to doing good things, following the Lord's statute, you shall not die. And look at this wonderful clause in 22. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Wow. So the Lord, if you change your life, the Lord won't 
remember that against you. Interesting phrase, isn't it? Remember something against you. Sometimes we do that to each other, don't we? Mm-hmm. I remember something. <laughs> Got a little file in your head in case you need it. And um, <laughs> then look at verse 23. The Lord explains something of his divine mercy there. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? So the Lord's whole system is set up that you get a good result. If you turn, doesn't, doesn't matter how bad you were, that's not, the Lord is not even going to remember that. that. That'll just be gone. But, here comes another but, In verse 24. 24. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity mm. and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? And the idea of living there is spiritually living. You know, you'll lose spiritual life and so on, not your physical life necessarily. All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. Oh. Because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed. Because of them he shall die. Yeah, so wow. It, sort of, it does have a flip side where if you did a bunch of good things, whoops, and then you you know, turned evil. I don't think it means it was an accident or something, but you, you really threw yourself into it, put your heart into it, you know. Then you, it's such a terrible concept, but the, um, then the good things you did, that, that won't be, it kind of erases that. You know, that doesn't get remembered. Interesting. Hmm. Okay, now that 18 is really, really wonderful chapter. Look at Ezekiel 20. Ezekiel has a lot about forgetting and remembering. We're just picking a few here. 20 verse, oh, it's a long chapter, uh, 41 to 43. This is when, uh, let's read verse 40 as well. For on my holy mountain, on the mountain height of Israel, says the Lord God, There all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, shall serve me. There I will accept them, and there I will require your offerings and the first fruits of your sacrifices, Mm. together with all your holy things. I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will be hallowed in you before the Gentiles. Wow, I will be hallowed in you. The, the Lord's holiness will be evident in people who follow the Lord in this way. And isn't this beautiful? Isn't this, these are good people who are following the Lord. So he's gathered them all together uh, from all the countries where they were scattered and he will be hallowed in them. And the same kind of theme is in Jeremiah 31, in verse 42 there. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Mm. See, knowledge of the Lord comes from, you follow the Lord, you get to know the Lord better. And then you'll know that I am the Lord. When I bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I raised my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. Okay, so this is wonderful. We're in a wonderful situation. The Lord has gathered us. We were in exile. We were scattered. The Lord brought us all together. Isn't this the fulfillment of everything in Scripture? And then what is our next state, dear reader? And there you shall remember your ways and all your doings with which you were defiled. 
and you shall loathe yourselves oh. in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed. But like we just, I thought we got away from all that, right? We left Egypt. We went through, we were wandering in the wilderness. We got into the Holy Land. We, we, we got away. We're, we're with the Lord. We know the Lord. We'll all know the Lord. And what does he say? There you will remember. There you will remember. What did the butler say? You know, years later, said, oh, today I remember my faults. Very interesting teaching. Doesn't it seem as though if the Lord is forgetting, we, we remember, or vice versa. If we remember, the Lord forgets, but the other way around, as we'll see in some passages coming up. Wow. Uh, so it, I wasn't expecting that in verse 43. Uh, that all of a sudden the Lord says, there you will remember your own ways and your doings and you'll loathe yourself in your own sight for the evils that you've committed. Interesting that that will come. That's an eventual state where you come into this state where you have a very vivid recollection. Even though the Lord has let all that go, you're in the Holy Land, everything's great. The Lord's forgotten all about it, right? Your sin I'll remember no more but you will remember it. Hmm. Mm. You'll, you'll remember. You'll remember what you did. Now, how about 21? This is about people being bad. Some scriptural passages are about that. <laughs> okay, 21, <laughs> verse 23. And it will be to them like a false divination in the eyes of those who have sworn oaths with them. But he will bring their iniquity to remembrance that they may be taken. You see, when people are doing bad things, that's when the Lord remembers their iniquity. It's just interesting. I never saw this pattern before. Last, just the last few days, I said, wait a minute. I think there's a thing here, you know? Interesting. Look at verse 24. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have made your iniquity to be remembered mm. in that your transgressions are uncovered so that in all your doings, your sins appear, because you have come to remembrance, you shall be taken in hand. Aha. Uh -huh. That sounds good, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Right. What does that I, mean? It's sort of apprehend is like taking like a kid off to the principal's <laughs> office or something. You're taking an hand. Yeah, this just doesn't even have to say what it's going to be. Uh -huh. mm. Yeah, and so isn't that something? Again, the sense that if we do iniquity and we're, we're persevering in it or something, then the Lord remembers that you know, wrongdoing. Fascinating. Okay, Ezekiel 36. Incredibly beautiful passage. We read part of this last time. This is where the Lord says He's going to wash away all our filthiness and He'll give us a new heart and a new spirit and mm -hmm. take the stony heart out of our flesh. Give us a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll do them and you'll be my people and I will be your God. Let's pick up at verse 29. 
I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. Mm. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Yeah, so the Lord is going to, we're going to be saved from our uncleanness. That's great. We're doing really well. We've got a new heart. We've got a new spirit. Uh, that, that reproach of famine is taken away. And then what will happen? How will we feel then? Dear reader. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. After you got over them. Right? Isn't that right? I mean, it just said it give you a new heart. I'll cleanse you. I'll, I'll, I'll take away all your uncleannesses. Didn't it say I'll save you from all your uncleannesses? I'll multiply the fruit. Everything will be great. And then you will remember your own evil ways and you'll loathe yourselves in your own sight for all those things that you did, your abominations. And then the Lord says in verse 32, Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Yes, and so before we heard all these passages about how I'm doing this for my sake or for my name's sake, the Lord said. Now here he sort of says the flip side of that coin. I'm not doing this for your sake. It's, it's interesting. You know, you will, you will loathe yourself. When you, when you really get to that point, you'll see, whoa, I was in bad shape back there. And yet, look down in verse 35. It's talking about how your desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. You know? You're in this wonderful heavenly state and you remember the bad things and loathe yourself because of that bad stuff. That, and yet the Lord has forgotten all about it. It's so, it's so intriguing to me. I never noticed this teaching in Scripture before. Now, if you go through Daniel, which comes right to the right of Ezekiel, right at the end of Daniel, 12 chapters long, you get into Hosea. I want to go to Hosea chapter 9, verse 9, a lot like other passages that we've been uh, reading here, but there's just a little more evidence. 9-9. Nine, 9-9 nine. Nine, nine in Hosea. They are deeply corrupted, as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Same phrase we saw before, right? Remember their iniquity, punish their sin. You know, it's always the people who are doing bad that the Lord remembers. That's why that, that phrase from the uh, Ten Commandments came to mind about the, the people who hate the Lord. There's this kind of remembrance. Uh, but the people who love the Lord and do His commandments, it's, it's all mercy. It's all, it's all love. It's all great. Let's turn to the New Testament, to Matthew. So you flip through so the, those other minor prophets. Matthew 5. Hmm. I thought this was interesting. This came to mind as well. Uh, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, look at verse 23 and following there. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Isn't that sort of like 
today I remember my faults. Like you get all the way to the altar, you, know, you might be doing okay and you're bringing your gift and everything and you get to the altar and I don't think it's a mistake that you remember when you're there at the altar. Like, aren't these images that we've been reading a function of being closer to the Lord? Like you're in the, you're in the Holy Land, you're actually closer to the Lord. What did we read about the Word at the beginning of the evening? It's a discerner of the intents and thoughts of the heart. When you're closer to the Lord, then you will loathe yourself in your own sight. Then you will see your iniquities in a new light. You'll, you'll realize, oh, it's worse than I thought. I didn't realize it was that bad. Um, and I'm very interested that if you bring your gift to the altar, and then when you get to the altar, that's when you remember that you wronged your brother. And your brother has, you know, like you've got to make good on that. Uh, then you leave there, take care of that, then come back and offer your gift. It was just a, a nice little point I thought about remembering mm -hmm. and the fact that it happens in the presence of that altar. Mm -hmm. Let's look at Luke. Let's go through Mark to Luke. To Luke 15. Now, this story came to mind. Uh, it's this well-known story of the prodigal son. And I'm interested. Uh, it's just irresistible. Let's le read a little bit of this. Uh, let's start in verse 11 of Luke 15. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. So the Lord is telling a parable here about these two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Mm. Yeah, in the old King James, riotous living. Yes. Sounds much more fun. Yes. <laughs> but, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... Now, see, there's a phrase. It doesn't say remember exactly, but he has some kind of awakening. He comes to himself. Or he kind of, what am I doing? You know, this is ridiculous. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. And here's his plan. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now, part of what interests me in this story and why it came to mind is that he doesn't seem to have this consciousness when he's doing the riotous living. He's just doing his thing. And I, I, I can't detect that he feels particularly bad about that. He's having a good time or whatever. You know, it's only later that it sort of, whoa, comes to mind that, wait a minute, my father's servants have a way better situation than mine. I have sinned against my father. You know, I went and, you know, wasted the substance that he gave me and everything. And um, so he plans to go home. Um, so I, I'll arise and say to him, all that stuff in verse 18, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. The father's obviously a... Figure of the Lord here. 
But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, is the father, would you say that the father's behavior is forgive and forget or hold a grudge? The former. <laughs> he doesn't even wait till he gets in range. He just like runs out to see him, <laughs> gives him a kiss. I'm very... It sounds a strange thing to say about a biblical character who's made up in a parable by the Lord. But I'm very proud of the son because he could have just said, Hi, Dad, nice to see you. But he says his speech anyway in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But you probably remember the rest of the story that the father gives him a big feast and the story goes on from there. And so the point is that... The father has forgotten about it, but the son is conscious in a new way, right? He remembers his iniquity. And so the father can totally let it go, give him the ring, give him the fatted calf, you know, pull out all the stops uh, because the son is remembering. The son has remembered. Okay, and let's look at, uh, turn all the way to Revelation. Chapter 18. And this is talking about the sins of Babylon. And 18 verse 5 just quickly says, For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Yep. See, whenever you see God remembering iniquities, it always seems that it's in the context of repeated sinning that goes on. So what I piece together from this, as I say, is that when... We are, let's say, in denial. Would that be a good way to express it? Or when we are just sort of uh, ignoring the fact that we're not doing right. Then it, it, I know that it's written just according to an appearance. God is omniscient. He doesn't really forget like he knows. Every, you know, It's not like he really forgets. He's not like a human being who just sort of forgets. But I like the way that it's portrayed in Scripture that it's sort of like, hey, if you are willing to take on this consciousness of yourself, then I can let it go, the Lord says. But if you're not in touch with it, I'll have to remember it. I'm going to try to bring you around with punishments and so on. It's never that the Lord wants to inflict harm on His people. He's nothing but mercy. Uh, but He will need to sort of remember that and hold us to it. Some of you may have heard me say something about this a while ago. I was struck reading one of Swedenborg's works recently that he talked about uh, a judgment based on truth and a judgment based on goodness after we die. Was, let's see if I can give the gist of the teaching that uh, if you have done any good in your life, if you were loving to somebody else, you were kind or you did, did something good, then you are subject to the judgment based on goodness. And the judgment based on goodness is very kind and fair and forgiving and doesn't, I shouldn't even say fair, it's like total mercy, you know. It's just say, oh, you're, you're so fine, you know. But if you haven't done anything good, 
if you don't have any good in your heart and you didn't do anything good for anybody, it's hard to imagine there are such people, but, but uh, then the only other place you can go is the judgment based on truth. And the judgment based on truth, every, Swedenborg says, every single human being always flunks the basement, the, the, sorry, the judgment based on truth. You, nobody, nobody passes. If thou, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? You know, nobody's going to pass. So it's encouragement for us to do kind things for others because the judgment based on goodness is just a lot nicer. It's sort of like if you haven't done anything good, then the Lord's got to sort of come up with the litany of the bad thing or something, you know. But if you've done good, we forget about all that. That just goes away. We don't. You may remember it. Uh, another piece of this, I was just reading a passage where Swedenborg writes about these spirits who detected, the, they, they sensed the presence of the Lord. And, it was, and these spirits are so sweet and so angelic. They just have this wonderful atmosphere. They, they just have this loving, soft sort of aura that they spread around themselves. And they're so kind and gentle and wonderful. When something of the Lord appears, an amazing thing happens. They turn away and they won't even look at the Lord. And they just start talking about how I am so from hell. I'm just so, I, I, you know, and, and they're, they're just utterly conscious of their own evil, that they belong in hell. It's only the Lord's mercy that has ever let them out. It sounds like a bad process, but it seems like it's part of their sweetness and their goodness in an interesting way. They remember it. They're very conscious of it. And when they see the Lord, they, they turn away. They won't even look at Him. And then the Lord lifts them up and makes things even better and it's all good again kind of thing. But this tremendous humility. And that reminded me of a couple of passages that we'll close with tonight or coming down the home stretch. Anyway, if you go into the middle of your Bible and turn to the right, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah gets called by the Lord. You bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. It's interesting. When you're in the presence of the Lord, that word is a discerner of the intents and thoughts of the heart. When you're not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of it, then you start, you start to realize these things. And uh, so in the presence of the word, in the presence of the Lord, we have a greater consciousness of ourselves. So what does Isaiah, the great prophet, say when he sees the Lord? He's high and lifted up. He sees these amazing things. The whole house is filled with smoke. And what does Isaiah say in response to this vision of God? 6 verse 5. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Yeah. And seeing the Lord, it's just like, oh, I am such a filthy, unclean, you know, I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't be seeing this. I, I'm. And then the Lord does something for him, takes this coal, has an angel take a coal from the altar and brings it, touches his lips and purifies it and puts him through a purification kind of process. But his initial reaction... I think that's sort of the remembrance. You know, you come into the Holy Land and there you will remember all the things. You know, I think that's so interesting 
that you, we're sort of forewarned that we're going to have that different consciousness. And go to the New Testament to Luke, third gospel there, Luke chapter 5. Just one more story like this one. Peter, the great, that was the great Isaiah. Here's the great Peter, becomes the lead disciple. How does he react when he first encounters Jesus? Uh, let's just start from uh, the beginning of Luke 5 there. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Mm. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And I'm thinking in this context of this story, what do you have? First of all, the Lord tells every, he's sitting in the boat, which is so wonderful, talking to everybody on the land, and he tells them stuff. That's the teaching of truth, right? Tells them stuff. But what's the next thing? Let's go fishing. Now let's get moving here. Let's do something good. You know, it's not enough to just be instructed, let's get busy. Let's do something useful and good. And so he says, let's go out and let it down. And they said, well, you know, we tried that all night. Nothing happened, but sure, I'll try it. And in verse 6, what happened? And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He did not say, oh, go on. What does it say? It's For explained. he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Yeah, it's interesting. It wasn't sort of high five or, yeah, best catch ever. It's, leave me. I am a <laughs> sinful man. You know, you and I can have nothing to do with each other uh, because you are amazing and I am not. I fished all night. I don't know anything about fishing. I quit. <laughs> <You know. laughs> his, his, his reaction, I'm a sinful man. It's interesting. That's when the Lord moves into his life. I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. You and I do not belong together. You are holy. You are something so good. I am not. You know, and I'm just recognizing you and I should have nothing to do with each other. And the Lord says, great, you know, <laughs> let's get together and spend our lives together. So why would the Lord, what an odd thing to say that he wants us to remember. I think it's because, didn't we sort of read in those passages, at least between the lines? Yeah, didn't that very first passage say, lay apart all that filthiness and excess of wickedness or something? Superfluity of naughtiness. That's right, in the old King James. Good for you for remembering. And, the, uh, and, and uh, take in with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Uh, you've got to get the stuff out of the Lord. All the, it's not punitive. 
He just wants that stuff out of the way because he can bless us. And actually, in an interesting way, it's, I don't think it's talking about beating ourselves up. It talks about loathing yourself for your iniquities and stuff like that. But I don't think it's simply about pummeling ourselves or something for how bad we are. I think it's an honest recognition of the difference between ourselves and the Lord and a total gratitude of the mercy and grace that we've been lifted from where we were and put on a different track. You know, what, what a wonderful, what an amazing thing, because I saw myself in a dark alley one night and it was not pretty, you know. And so the fact that the Lord is able to lift us up and turn us into angels and give us heaven so he can, in effect, remember that no more. But Swedenborg's description of the angels is that they still remember. And from time to time, they sort of fall down into these more sort of melancholy states and they drift out of heaven for a second. And they sort of remember sort of what they're like without the whole benefit of the Lord always around them. And, and then they go, they go, they're taken back up into heaven with a renewed joy in that. It's just part of the cleansing and purification process, I think, is to to remember our own lower self and that, that nature. So I think that the Lord wants us to be aware of the dark nature in our lower self so that we will be more cooperative with him and receptive to all those heavenly blessings that he wants to give us. Thank you, friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, thank you for your patience with us and for calling us forward in our spiritual lives, calling us to that greater awareness. Thank you for your word, a discerner of the intents and thoughts of our hearts so that we may come to understand ourselves better, to know what is evil, what is false, what comes from hell, and all that great goodness and mercy that comes from you we eventually realize that all the goodness is in you, Lord, and you just shower it on us because you're generous and not because our lower self is particularly deserving. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for the eternity of your kindness, and for promising to take us into that holy land if we're willing to go. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day of daily bread, as we, also, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And what does it mean when you forget the Lord's Prayer? Is that bad? <laughs> God bless everybody. <laughs> <laughs>